uh, our Cancer Survivor Sunday, or we may even do a fundraiser like we've done before. We've done fun runs. Somebody kind of take that over. Our Sunday nights on the gospel. Uh, we've had groups come in, and somebody has to organize it. And so somebody that's something you would really like to do, that would be great. We're still kind of looking for a choir leader. That's a little more detailed uh, type thing, but organize our Tigers game. We go down there every year. We usually get free tickets because they stay right now. Uh, you notice all those former Tigers in the World Series that the Tigers said weren't any good. Yeah, good job there. Uh, but anyways, our security team. Uh, we had some guys that showed interest and then kind of dropped it. So if you'd like to be part of that first responder security, right now we don't have a security team. I don't know how that makes you feel, but I'm up front and uh, I'm not carrying a gun, but uh, uh, we need that. We need to have a first responder team. If somebody were to pass out, someone doesn't know what they're doing. We have heart panels. We have a, one of those needles uh, thing for uh, somebody. Be, they move into a drug shock thing and stuff. But we don't have anybody who's in charge of it or knows where everything is or how to do all of that stuff. It's a simple ministry, but it's something that needs to be organized and done. And then our DVDs, if you like the DVDs, I just kind of run it out of time to do it. It's not that difficult. It takes about uh, four or five hours a month to sit there and make them and put them out and stuff like that. And then our outside Christmas lights. Somebody told me, well, we didn't decorate last year. Well, the person that told me, here's your chance. Because <laughs> I would love to have you decorate. So most of these things are not every Sunday. In fact, the ministry <laughs> meeting on the, the college ministry, you don't have to teach it. We've got people in the church that can teach the college class. And those kids just need somebody to organize events for them and love on them and minister to them. Exactly like what Debbie does. And same thing with our men's ministry. We need a, a, a leader on that who will pull aside young guys and say, hey, this is how you should do things or invest in them, take them out for coffee, go on visitation with them and, and teach them different things. None of these things require you to be a teacher. Very few, I think only a couple, even require you to be here on Sunday. So if it's something you like to do, there's a whole display on that. Take it out. There's a spot to put your name. Write your name on it. Put it in the basket. And um, we'll go from there. And if, if, if nobody wants to do, like the church picnic is awesome. I didn't put it on there, but the church picnic is on one of those lists. But if nobody wants to do it, then we'll just decide that we won't do it as a church and stuff. And so if you would feel led, if it's something you would like to do, grab one of those. <laughs> None of them are really that difficult. But they need to be done. And, well, maybe they don't. And if nobody wants to do it, then maybe we'll decide in the future that, well, nobody wants to go see the Tigers. Or nobody wants to do a church picnic or anything like that. So, so grab one of those cards. Think about it. It's going to be up all uh, month and maybe uh, most of the fall. will give you an opportunity to go back and look at it, pray about it. See me if you'd like more information. Exactly what does that include? So, so John chapter 6, as we talk about today, divert from our normal trend. And we're talking about, I love my church. Today, uh, we're we were doing our football. Michigan, Michigan State is coming up. And didn't Michigan look good last night? But anyway, uh, and I thought about an example that happened when I was a coach, when I was a football player. Uh, coach, and I coached in Texas where football is real. It's a religion with everything and stuff. And so I coached my junior highers there. And it was a very intense thing. And so we were Christian school. We played mostly Christian schools and Catholic schools and stuff. But there was this one school we were going to, Fruitvale, Texas. That sounds as booty as the name is, Fruitvale, Texas. But Fruitvale was an unusual school because Fruitvale wasn't a Christian school, it wasn't a public school, it was a reform school. 
It was a school, that it was a school for kids and boys who had been thrown out of public school all across the whole eastern and northern part of Texas, and they got sent there and they lived there. And so we were preparing for this because we were expecting tough kids. I was teaching my uh, 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 group this whole thing. And we had this one play that we would do periodically. It's a trick play. When we receive the toss, they kick off to us. Normally, watch football. The kickoff team will get it, and there's a time in between, and then they run off, and then the offense comes out. No. Our trick play was we put our offense out there. So we got the ball and everything, and we ran one play, a simple sweep to our side. And what usually happens, you caught the other team unprepared. And so you can just run right down the sideline away from them, and you can get sometimes a touchdown out of it. It's a great, simple trick play. It works all the time in junior high because the players aren't ready and because junior highs aren't as well. So we start off, we have that trick play going, we're ready, everything's set up. I tell the referee ahead of time because if you don't tell them ahead of time, they screw the play up. So we do it, everything, and we're on this sideline, so the play runs this way. Just toss it to our best running back. They weren't ready, it was perfect. Everything was set up, they were in transition and everything. So my quarterback decides he doesn't know which side we're on, and he takes the ball and throws it to Noah. The other team jumps on it, they do a play, touchdown. We're all kind of discombobulated. We get the ball back, so then simple little play, okay, we're not going to do anything trick. So then my quarterback takes the ball, throws it, and he hits the running back right in the face mask, drops the ball, they jump on it, they score a touchdown. We're two minutes into this game, and we are down by 14 points. And I got them all together on the sideline, and I said, this is unacceptable. You must do better. This is not how we play. So we went on there, uh, had to punt the ball and everything, and they got the ball back, and I'm like, oh, God, good Lord, we came all down here to Fruitvale, Texas to lose. So little Joe McCormick, who's not little anymore, he's like six foot four. But little Joe McCormick was my free safety, and he would hit people and he would hit hard. They ran a play, and Joe hit that ball with his helmet. You're not supposed to do that, by the way. But he hit that ball with the helmet. The ball went flying. One of my players got it, ran it. We got a touchdown and everything. Joe comes out. He's one of my favorite players, and he's wearing a football helmet, right? They have those masks with those little things. And I went to hug Joe because I'm a very emotional football coach. And I went to hug Joe. Joe went to hug me, but he was short and little. He came up and he hit me oh, right with that screw right on my face. He gouged my face and blood and everything. And I went back like this, hard hitting. This kid could hit hard. And that's it. So we got the ball and everything. And I'm kind of, I got them all together. And I started screaming at these little junior high boys. And then, this isn't how we play. And I remember what I told them. Do what I taught you to do. Do you understand? Play the way I taught you to play. And I'm, I'm just getting into it, man. I was like Mussolini on a balcony, just screaming at these kids. And there's blood. And their eyes are huge. They're just staring. And I didn't realize that it was so bad and everything. And their eyes are huge and everything. We went out there and we just demolished them. We won 38 to 14. And I asked the kids afterwards, and, and I said, man, that was a really good speech I gave. That was, that was really good. What did I say? I don't even remember. One of my players who I was really good friends with, and I really love this kid, he goes, it wasn't anything you said. You looked like a maniac. <laughs> we were afraid. Because it was, it, it was gouged open, it had in stitches, and there was like throbbing, there was blood, and they were like, you're going to behave this way. What happens if we lose? <laughs> <laughs> I need to preach more like that. But anyway, do what I taught you to do. 
And you know what? I think sometimes God looks at the mess of this world, the disasters, <coughs> babies being found in dumpsters, children being raised without a mom and dad, drugs that are pouring into our street. And I think God looks at the church sometimes and would like to gather us together and simply say, do what I taught you to do. So what is it that God has taught us to do? What are we supposed to do? We're taking notes, just real simple. Here's our problem. The purpose of the church is to share Jesus. You see, we get into trouble when we lose sight of that. We get into trouble when we get off into political issues. We get into trouble when we become a church that's about social issues and, and, and preaching against this type of sin only. And that's what we're known for. We're known for being this. We're known for being supporters of this cause. And even, even we can get pulled offside by good things like Samaritan's Purse. And thank God for Samaritan's Purse. It's the only organization I would recommend you give to. They're the best one on the planet. But even Samaritan's Purse is not our purpose, is it? Samaritan's Purse is a means to an end. Even ministries, churches do that all the time. Especially back in the 80s and 90s where Christian schools became big and churches started having their own Christian schools and everything. And the, the, the purpose of the church became many times to take care of the Christian school. That is not the purpose of the church. All of those things are means to an end to share Jesus. Everything we do has to be, especially if you, if you talk about this so often. And you know why? Because so many good churches get pulled off sides and they start getting involved in things that they have no business to be involved in. Or either they center and major on things that are good and they forget to share Jesus. Can I give you a, a challenge? Write a purpose statement. Write a purpose statement. If you're here and you're a teacher, I'm not going to make you. But if you're a Sunday school teacher, if you are teaching God's Word, I challenge you to write down the purpose statement of your class. Now listen, for some of you like in the second and third graders, sometimes your purpose, I don't blame it, is to stay alive this day. I, I get that. I don't, I don't want to be down there either, okay? But seriously, challenge you to write a purpose. How about for your life? What is the purpose of your life and what are you trying to focus on? How about for your family? How about the ministry? Well, listen. You, you want a great example? Many marriages, they don't say it out loud, but their purpose is to get those kids graduated from high school. Yeah. And then, once that purpose is accomplished, why do you have a marriage? The largest group of divorced people are what is called empty nesters. Because the purpose of their marriage became get them to 18 to walk that aisle, or get them to 21 or 22 to walk that college aisle, whatever. And once that is finished, then there's no longer a purpose for us. See, churches do that. They make their purpose something that's not Jesus. And once that reason is finished, there's no reason for God to use them anymore. Our purpose is to share Jesus. You want to make your marriage last for eternity? Make your marriage about sharing Jesus. Amen? I challenge you, teachers, Everybody here is married. I, I dare you and your spouse to sit down and dare you to write a purpose statement for why you're married. What is the reason you are married? And it better be more than love. Because love is not all you need. Try to pay your light bill with love. <laughs> Oakland Woods in one sentence, let me just remind you, is this. Oakland Woods Baptist Church is about Jesus. 
This has been our theme for the last this last year. Studying the word of God that reveals Jesus, reaching the next generation for Jesus, and declaring that Jesus is the only way. And our purpose, I don't do necessarily in a statement, but this is how I approach everything. Our purpose, is number one, is a clear message. That takes top priority. Everything I do in a week, and sometimes you'd be surprised at some of the ridiculous things I do, but everything I do in a week, the number one priority I have is what I'm doing right now is what I do on Sunday night, is what I do on Wednesday, is to get a message, not a message, but to deliver a clear message that you must be born again and that Jesus is the only way to heaven. There is nothing more important than that. Amen. And secondly, children. I mean, I put a lot of time into this, into our children's ministry, helping them out. I'm just thankful I don't have to always be there. Uh, I think last Wednesday night, though, after driving the bus, I kind of came back and thought, Dear Lord, can I be a banker? <laughs> Being involved in our community. Uh, listen, great opportunity for you to start thinking about, uh, I think it's the first Friday of December, our auditorium becomes the best shoe store in Clarkston, in Oakland County, as we give out uh, somewhere between 300 to 400 pairs of boot shoes, uh, dental, eye exams, everything to children in Clarkston, Clarkston only, uh, that are underprivileged, that have issues and they need some help. It's a great thing for you to be part of. Do not let Kohl's, do not let Target, do not let some of the other companies that come and help, do not let them outnumber the people of Oakland Woods on And lastly, just compassion, helping people. You see, for this next year in 2019, our theme, put this up there. Our theme is going to be Amplified. And the reason is because Amplified is the name of our ministry about starting churches. See, Amplified means this, expanding God's kingdom by creating more churches. Um, the kingdom of God right now is in heaven. The kingdom of God right now is anybody who is saved. There will come a time and a place when the kingdom of God will be here on earth. It's called the millennial reign. That is not now. The kingdom of God now is spiritual. And see, we want to do four things, basically. We want to pray for people who are starting churches. Uh, we want to partner with people who are starting churches. We want to participate with people who are starting churches. And eventually, we want to plant our own church that comes out of Oakland Woods. That's a three, four-year goal plan that we have. You see, God created the local New Testament church to reach the world. Yeah. Other ministries are fine, and groups and associations and everything else, that's fine. But it was the local New Testament church that God created and we're going to ask you to be part of it. We're going to ask you to partner with it. I'm going to give you more information. We've met and talked with a group of people already about it, got some feedback, and said that's what we want to do. And so in 2019, our theme is going to be amplified so that we can amplify the message of Jesus Christ throughout the world. The world needs Jesus. And it's the local New Testament church God has designed and created to do it. So in John chapter 5, we see a pathetic story. We see a man with no help, with no one to take care of him. And I'm just going to come down again and talk with you about this. And we're going to break down this passage here in John chapter 5. As we see one of the saddest things in the Word of God. A man with no one there to help him. So John chapter 5, look at verse 1 with me. And after these, there was a feast. Now this feast could have been the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it could have been the Feast of Weeks, it could have been the Feast of Passover. We're not exactly sure, but it's one of these three that probably takes place. 
and of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem, by the sheep market, if you're using the King James Version like me, you'll notice that the word market is in italics. Anytime in your Bible you see an italics word, that word is not in the original manuscript. The translators added it for clarity. So you can almost take it out. So really, instead of market, it's pool. There was a sheep pool right by it. Which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. You know what the word Bethesda means? House of grace and house of mercy. What a great name for a church. What a great purpose statement for a church. House of grace and house of mercy. In verse 3. And these lay a great multitude of impotent, which means weak or paralyzed or powerless folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. Um, these poor people, remember, no medicine basically, I mean, they had medicine, but not like us, uh, were blind, were lame, were crippled, and they would wait for this pond of water that was basically a runoff water that sheep would drink out. What were they waiting for? Well, a myth had developed here. For an angel went down at the certain season to the pool and troubled the water, and whosoever first, whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole whatsoever disease he had. Okay, a myth had developed that when the water moved, it was an angel doing it. And if you were the first one to get down into this pool, you would be healed. Now many of you are thinking, well that seems a little silly, that seems a little ridiculous. How is this any different than the nonsense that the Word of Faith TV preachers are peddling? <clears throat> oh, you want to be healed? Here's some water from the Jordan River. Or here's some oil that I have. Or here's a cloth, and you put this over the spot. It's no different. But look, before we judge these people, before we kind of look down on them, if you had no medicine, if you had no access to medicine, and you were blind, or you were paralyzed, and there was a loved one, wouldn't you do everything possible to help them? I mean, you would get crystals. You would try just about everything. When you've reached your wit's end, and before you look back at these people and go, I would never do that. Well, maybe you've never been put in that situation. You think, well, I would never steal. Well, have you ever had your son or daughter, you know, starving to death? You might do some things at a point of need. These people were at a point of need. Here's the thing about what Jesus is going to do. He never really acknowledges this myth. Honestly, he doesn't. He didn't sit down and let me give you 12 reasons why this is not what angels do. Let me take out Billy Graham's book on angels and explain to you what angels really do. This is not possible. He never does that because you know what? Jesus didn't care about any of that stuff. He didn't care about the things that pull most of us offside. He stays on task. To give you a little tip, if you ever talk to somebody about Jesus, they're going to want to pull you offside on everything. You know, well, where, well, uh, where did Cain get his wife? How did this happen? How did Noah get all those animals? And you know what you simply say? That's a great question. And maybe we can find the answer together. But what I want to talk to you today is about why you need Jesus. Isn't that a great trick? Three people thought it was. Anyway, whole life comes down to one trick. Here it happens. We meet this man. And a certain man was there, and he had an infirmity about 30 and 8 years. Now, a couple of things that comes out. Um, it doesn't say he was born with it. In fact, I think we're going to see here later on in 14, it seems to imply he did something to deserve this, that he might have done a sin. We don't know. I'm reading into Scripture. But it doesn't say, oftentimes the Bible will say, a certain man who had this for his entire life, or had this since birth, it doesn't say. It says he had this illness for 38 years. And let me just say something. 
it can be very easy to look at certain people and say, you got what you deserved. And a lot of them did get what they deserved. But that's not how Jesus approaches this man. It seems that this man might have done something 38 years ago that caused him to, to become paralyzed. We don't know. Maybe he was a teenager and did something stupid. Aren't you glad you don't have to pay for every stupid thing you did as a teenager? But it's very easy, right? Some of you right now, I'm sitting next to him. But anyway, uh, <laughs> it's very easy to look at certain people and go, these people deserve mercy and grace, and these people don't. Let me just remind you of who you are. You are a sinner separated from God. You don't deserve any of God's grace or any of his mercy. That's why it's grace and mercy. And it's very easy to separate people into who deserves love and who doesn't deserve love. And let me just tell you, somebody who deals with a lot of people, some people are hard to love. Some people, it is hard to love. Honestly, I see some of these things on the news. And you, and, and, uh, all right, I'm just going to talk a little bit. I'm a big capital punishment maker. Lived in Texas, and they do it really well. I was like, oh, you couldn't, could you pull that switch? Show me a picture of the person they murdered. Show me that little old lady they broke in, raped and murdered. Show me that little girl they killed and everything. Show it to me. I could throw that switch, walk over, eat a Whataburger, because that's what they have down there, and not think anything of it, because that dude got what he deserved. It is very easy to take that attitude with people, though, isn't it? It's very easy to see some people deserve Jesus, and other people... They're too far gone. I'm so glad I wasn't too far gone. Yeah. Verse 6. And when Jesus saw him lying and knew that he had been there now a long time in that case, that seems, it seems Jesus implies, implies that maybe he'd been there for a while and he'd done something else. He has no family. Isn't it interesting? There's no family to help him get in the pool. Why? Maybe what he did to get paralyzed ticked off his family. Gentlemen here in this church, and I said, listen, he was making, thinking about doing something, and they said, you listen to me, you understand this, if you make this decision, no one's coming to your funeral. You are not going to be invited to any uh, weddings, you're not going to be invited to any graduations. This decision, you've got to write off your family, because they are going to be mad at you to the day you die. Maybe this is what this man did. And he saith unto him, will thou be made whole? What a great question for Jesus. Would you like to be whole? Can I just make a point that Jesus doesn't force himself on anybody? Jesus is a gentleman. Listen, you want to accept Jesus? It's your choice. You want to walk out and not know Christ as your personal Savior? It's your choice. You want to serve God? It's also your choice. Verse 7. Then the infinite man answered him, Sir, no man. How sad. Who knows what he did? I don't have a family. I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. I don't even have anybody that likes me. I have no man when the water is troubled to put me in the pool. But while I am being coming, another steps down before me. You can see the mob rule here, right? He has no legs and he's on these steps and they're all sitting around waiting for that water to, to move. And he does. He starts crawling, maybe rolling. What a pathetic sight. And somebody else who has somebody, maybe his, their, their, their children are with him, and will pick that child, push it up, and take him into the water before he can get there. Maybe they're blind and somebody leads them into this pool and they think this is going to heal them. By the way, it's probably just a myth. There's not an angel doing this. They just think it's happening. He has no one. And Jesus said unto him, 
rebels. Um, vote Republican. <laughs> no, he doesn't say that, does he? He says, rise. Um, believe in a young earth creation theory. He says, rise. Be pre-trib. He says, rise. Use the King James Bible. He says, rise and uh, get a haircut, you hippie. He doesn't say anything. He says, rise. Take up thy bed and walk. You want to know the difference between Jesus and these frauds that are on TV? And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. He doesn't really even know who Jesus is. We're going to find out here in just a second. He doesn't know who Jesus is. This isn't even his salvation experience. He just wanted to be healed. He just wanted to not have to be sitting there. He wanted somebody to care about him. What happens? Verse 10. Then the Jews, another word for that, the religious. Maybe we could also put the Baptists. Therefore said unto him, what was, was cured? This guy's been laying there and he's cured. This is their question. Now, let's praise God that you're cured. Let's, not, let's thank God how everything's gone on and ask him, how did this happen? How can we be part of this? This is amazing. No, 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 no. It is not lawful. You know they said it that way, right? They didn't say like, it is not lawful. It's that religious con does, it is not lawful. Somehow they, that's my Thurston Howell the third. <laughs> it is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. And he answered them, he that made me whole, the same said, take up thy bed and walk. We're going to find that this is the beginning of when the, the Jews start to hate Jesus. And a little side verse, if you like to put your Bible. Mark 2, 27. Mark 2, 27. Mark 2, 27. Jesus reminds them that the man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for the man. And by the way, anybody who's like, oh, well, there's Sabbath keepers. Do you know what the Sabbath was? The Sabbath was a day of rest, but you know what it was a rest from? It wasn't a rest from just work or anything. It was a rest from the Old Testament law. It was a rest from the burden that the Old Testament law was. In verse 12, then they asked him, what man is he that taketh unto thee? Take up thy bed and walk. And watch, he, he doesn't even know. And he said, uh, he was healed. Was not who it was. For Jesus had conveyed himself away. He, he hid himself away. He didn't reveal himself. A multitude being in that place. He just kind of drifts away. And afterward, Jesus finds him in the temple. That's the thing I love about Jesus. He goes looking. He healed this man. He did not say to him, in order for me to heal you, you're going to have to have faith, did he? This man was not healed with faith, was he? He had no faith. He didn't even know Jesus. He didn't say you have to do a whole bunch of stuff in order for me to do this. I'm bad at that. I've got to admit something. I'm really bad at sometimes thinking, well, God, if I do this, then you have to do that. I am somehow manipulating God. If I pray a certain way, then God will bless me a certain way. If I do a certain thing, then God will punish me a certain way. And I'm bad at sometimes saying, that is not God. That is religion. That is man's philosophy. That is how, you know what? Because that's, sometimes that's how I treat other people. I, I have an expectation. If you're good to me, I'm good back to you. If you're bad to me, I'm bad to you. I have that sort of relationship with people. That is not the way Jesus is. Jesus does not sit back here and say, well, here's my grace and here's my mercy. And until you get your life right, until you act a certain way, that's when you deserve it. And that's when I'll give it to you. He doesn't do that, does he? He goes looking for this man. Anybody in here been looked by Jesus? I know it's not the, 
What do you mean? I guess there's only two of us that are saved, right, Dan? The rest of these are demons. Anybody in here been looked by Jesus? All right, that's a half of you. The rest of you need to check your salvation. All right, here we go. And after Jesus found him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more. This is why I think he did something. Because he says this, Lest a worse thing come unto thee. And the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which made him whole. He's not even faithful to Jesus at this point. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him. Because he had done these things on the Sabbath. And that's when they began to hate Jesus. Because he dared to heal on the Sabbath. Listen, if you're taking notes, for lack of a better term, I just call this highlights from the pool. Highlights from the pool. Number one, if you're taking notes, religion was more interested in symbols than the need. They were more interested in symbols. They were more interested in keeping their feast. They were more interested in their Sabbath day. They were more, these things were more important to people. Let me say this to you. Let's stop making things more important than people. Let's stop making symbols. Let's stop making religious rites more important than people. You notice something. I did not say, let's change God's word. I did not say, let's change God's standards. I did not say, let's change God's word, what he has to say about different moral issues. I did not say that, did I? But let's stop making things and religious issues and symbols more important than people. It happened again. I don't know how it happened. I'm sure George did it. But somehow, some other, that light got broke. Nobody knows how it happened. But the light got broke. I've got a pretty good stinking feeling that a ball went up there and probably broke it. Maybe one of my deacons came in in the middle of the night and went, hee, 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 and broke it. I could see Rob. <laughs> But you mark it down, those little boys and girls on Wednesday night, those little kids in jam are more important than any of these stupid light fixtures. Because they need Jesus. Not only are they representing a soul that needs Jesus, you see every one of those boys, you see every one of those girls, you see a future mom and dad who are going to lead their children in knowing Jesus. God is more interested in results. God is about results over man-made rules. Did you get that? Mm -hmm. We love our rules, don't we? We love our man-made, this is this, this and this, it has to be this way. And if you don't look like that, then you're not a Christian. <laughs> I think it was last Wednesday, not this Wednesday, but last Wednesday, my phone went off around 3 o'clock. The President of the United States, I didn't mean to alert. Sandra didn't get hers. Is it right? You probably didn't vote for him, so that's why you didn't get it. <laughs> I got one. Hers probably didn't go off, but the phone went off. I don't know. A, in case there's a nuclear war, so we can do what? <laughs> Die quicker? I don't know. But uh, anyways, but the, the warning went off. The president, so the president could talk to us. It's a system they're trying to set. Listen, I hope your phone from God has gone off. I hope your purpose for God has been revealed to you to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, highlights from the pool. Clarity on all issues is not needed. The man didn't even know who Jesus was, did he? He just had a need. People don't need to agree with us to meet Jesus, do they? 
They don't need to know anything. All they need to know, and all you need to know, the first thing you need to know is this, is that you were born in sin, you were conceived in sin, you are sinners separated from God for all eternity. But God loved you so much, he sent his only begotten son to die on a cruel Roman cross, born of a virgin, rose from the dead three days later, and if you, a child like faith, will accept Christ as the payment of your sin to come into your heart, you will be born again, and Jesus will forgive you. You're going to heaven then. That's all they needed to know. You say, well, Pastor, don't, they, don't people need to know this, this, this? You know what that's for? Discipleship is for that. People don't need to know everything. They don't need to agree on everything. But they do, do need to believe that Jesus is God. He is Lord. He died on the cross. He rose on the third day. And there are sinners who need Jesus. And we, we confuse the issue so much. Listen. God's calling creates confidence. He said, well, I couldn't share my faith. I couldn't do one of those ministries. I couldn't be around kids because I don't like kids. Me too. But uh, that's why I've got six of them. But anyway, um, when God calls you to do something, he enables you to do it. And once you start doing it, your confidence begins to grow. Every person who's ever taught a Sunday school, no, maybe raise back. Every person who's ever been good and taught a good Sunday school class has been like that. I don't really know if I could do this. I don't really know. And yet they go in there committed to teaching Jesus, and the Holy Spirit uses them, and they do something great for God. Number three highlights. Hurting people need results. They just need results. Um, I don't know if you watch football. Sometimes for fun, I watch the Lions. I watched them last week, and they destroyed the Green Bay Packers. Mason Crosby, I saw this at the end of the game. It made me mad. Made me hate the Packers even more. But their field goal kisser, kisser. They could have just done that. Their field goal kicker, Mason Crosby, missed four field goals. They kicked them all, they won one. So at the end of the game, the game's over, they're down by 11 or whatever points, they couldn't come back. Just a few seconds left, instead of trying to get a touchdown, they kind of ended the game and they brought him out. Because we need to make him feel better. We need, he needs to make one of these. He can't end the game on court. That dude makes like three, four million dollars a year. You don't even get hit in the game and you miss those field goals. You weren't playing outside of Lambo. It wasn't cold and windy. It was inside state. And you missed four field goals, you're an idiot. <laughs> they need to look. But they had to bring him out because he's so fragile. He's the kicker. And that made me so disgusted. I'm like, you're bringing out this grown man. Not grown man. He, they have shown him with his helmet off. And Aaron Rodgers comes over and puts, you know, he was, he was on camera trying to look. If you know him in the locker room, he said, listen, man, you do that again, I will kill you. But he's, the dude's got gray hair. He's like 35 years old. He's been in the league for like over 10 years and stuff like this. And we have to bring him out because we need to make him feel better. Grow up. You know what makes you, makes you feel better? Monday morning when you get that check for like $300,000. That should make you feel better. Be a man. Suck it up, buttercup. But what, this is what we've done. We've turned the church into feelings. You can't hurt my feelings. And then we flipped it on the other side. We've made the church all about feelings. This is our celebration service. 
We want you to celebrate today. And there's nothing wrong with celebrating today. There's nothing wrong with praising Jesus. Amen? Amen. But if you watch Jesus, a lot of times Jesus preached at people and they went away not celebrating. The rich young ruler, there's a whole bunch of people that Jesus talked to and they walked away scratching their head. And a lot of them said, I'm not ever following him again. Sometimes Jesus didn't even give an invitation or an opportunity. He said some harsh things because they needed to change. But yet we made the American church about, let's all feel good. Let's hold hands. Let's sing kumbaya. You're all right. I'm all right. Nobody's a sinner. There is no hell. There's no consequences. Don't worry. If you think it's moral, then it's moral. Because whatever God is, that's what you've made him out to be. He said, Pastor Steve, they don't say it. But that's basically what they mean. Because we get together and just feel good. If you go to a church and never feel bad, you're going to the wrong church. Because you know what that bad feeling is? It's called conviction. One time I had a lady, very nice lady, but she only comes on Easter. And after Easter last year, she said to me, very nice lady, just, I need to start coming more because every time I come, I feel great. And I wanted to say, if you come every time, you won't. <laughs> Feelings are not an excuse for results. Hurting people need results. The only way you're ever going to change is if you hear the truth. The only way you're ever going to change is you let somebody get close enough to mentor you and to talk with you and disciple you. So as I close, many years ago, I used to be a pretty decent, fair, I'll say fair athlete. Glad at one point, I weighed 135 pounds at a 27-inch waist. I could bench press over 220 pounds. I was a beast. <laughs> Some of you look at me and think, why did Sandra marry him? Because I look good. <laughs> Glenn, I now weigh 220 pounds and I can barely bench press 135. I know what it is like. But I thought I was a pretty decent athlete. Having gone to junior camp as a counselor, I met this other kid, and uh, we became friends, and our churches did stuff together and stuff, and so we became good friends and everything, and so it was winter camp, and at our winter camp, we went up north, I think it was up in Boyne and stuff like that, so we also went skiing, and I just started skiing, I thought I was pretty good at it, you know, uh, french fries, pizza, right, french, you know, and I thought I could move a little bit, and I was getting a little confident, well, my friend, well, he had tried out for the Olympics once, he didn't make it. But he, he, he felt confident. They have these things on, on ski lifts, right? They have them, they're called black diamond things, right? Don't go up there. It's a total warning. And so he caught me at the end of the night. It was the last run, and everybody was down there at the lift thing. And everyone from my church, we had 40 kids from my church down there, and all these other churches were gathering and everything. And we were the last ones on it. He goes, let's go all the way up there. I said, well, I'm kind of new at this. He goes, let's go all the way up there. So we go all the way up there. And... Uh, they have these things in these black diamond hill called moguls, right? Moguls are where when people die, they just bury their body, right? And they put snow over them. So they're these hills, right? And you, when you're good at it, you jump, you do it. He, and he got up there and he goes, okay, let's go. And he just took off perfectly. Like it was a, he did a flip and he's doing all this other stuff. They had a little ramp. He goes up backwards. And I'm like, okay, and I'm new at this, so I'm just going real slow. And go, well, it was icy and just perfectly. I got about maybe 20 feet. Went over the second mobile. I lost it. it. And then I went I went down the hill. 
<laughs> I got down to the bottom. But I went down the hill face first all the way down. And not like, hey, I'm trying to do this to be funny, because I'm like flipping around. I look, the, the skis are coming off. One of my skis passes me and everything. It, it was just a huge mess. Looked like, looked like Daffy Duck. You know, when he gets shot and stuff, and he's facing the wrong way. Down, just completely out of control. And well, the worst part is everybody's down there. That was the last run, and they're all down there. And there's everybody in my youth department. There's my older brother. And what did they do? Because they were such good Christians, they laughed at me. <laughs> they, oh, look at that. I'm like, well, you didn't go that. Listen, here's the thing. You're going to step out. You're going to do something for Jesus. You're going to take one of those tags off. And go, you know what? I'm going to leave my hand. I'm going to do And your biggest fear is that you're going to screw it up so bad that people are going to laugh at you. You're going to share Jesus to somebody and your biggest fear is your neighbor's going to laugh at you for saying that. You're going to make a stand at Thanksgiving and everybody else does this and your family's just going to, well, we're not going to quite be involved in that tradition anymore. Our family's going to meet outside the, in our car and we're going to pray before because nobody else prays at Thanksgiving. We're going to, you're afraid somebody's going to laugh. Some people might laugh at you. I can't, I can't tell you somebody won't. If God calls you to do it, do it anyway. If God puts you in a position to help somebody, to lead something, if God calls you to do it, do it anyway. But you know what? When it comes time to face God, He won't be laughing. And neither will anybody else. What is your purpose? What is your purpose? Every head bowed, every head bowed. Hey, you being Jesus Christ.